well, it is killing me to not be in the same room as you right now because we're bringing our first ever 16-week series to a close. I want to talk specifically Studio Church friends. It is so hard to not be here. So hi, Future Me says hi from up at Grandview. I'm up there with um, my wife and my daughters and in-laws and Laura's sister and all their family. Uh, so I couldn't be here for Studio Church. So miss you. It's so strange to be in this room here where it's, it feels like pandemic days. The only people in the whole building, it's Laura or it's uh, Emma and, and Sam. Uh, so miss you. And for all of you who normally watch online, for those of you who are out of town this weekend, so good to be with you. But again, I wish we were in the same room to go through this last week of, of this, this series. But I, I guess there's some symbolism in all of this, uh, because for the last 15 weeks, we've been studying a letter, a letter. And there was a time when a letter was the best option that you had. If you had a message that you wanted to bring to somebody, a letter, a handwritten letter, was the best way you could make that personal connection. So maybe there is some symbolism in all of this. Even though we've got options to connect with people now that we didn't have back in the day, how many of you, show of hands, wherever you are, show of hands, how many of you still appreciate handwritten letters? Handwritten letters, yeah, I, I absolutely. When you can't be together, a handwritten letter, it provides that person-to-person connection. And one of the things that I really love about handwritten letters, you can revisit them again and again and again. Most letters, they share a basic structure. They often start with dear, followed by a name. They, then, come a, then comes a message that they want to share. And unless it's a secret admirer, letters often close with a signature. We spent a little time as a teaching team talking about signatures and the significance of them. Signatures are unique to every person. Signatures are a way to authenticate that the letter came from you. And we use our signatures to personally endorse and commit to important things. There's even this thing called signature analysis. Maybe you've heard of that, where some people believe you can get insight into a person's inner world just by looking at their signature. There's also a sense when it comes to signatures that we often want a part of our life or a quality that we have to be our signature in all that we do. In fact, I remember a time when I wanted excellence to be my signature. I think I even wrote that in some personal mission statement at some point. I've known people whose signature is they want to leave everything better than they found it. For others, hospitality is their signature or style or bringing joy and laughter wherever they go or service or sacrifice. Some want to be known as a winner. Others, a great listener or generous. If you're taking notes, I encourage you to do that. I invite you to write this down. Love is the authenticating signature of mature Christians. In the pages of Scripture, we read that God is love and that loving God and loving our neighbor, those are the greatest of the commandments that you're going to find in the Bible. But here's the thing. What kind of love are we talking about? The kind of love that people have for watermelon? The kind of love that people have for potatoes? The kind of love that some people have for their job? Or the kind of love that you might have for soccer or music or painting or drama. The kind of love that you might have for the outdoors. The kind of love that we've got for those kids at Emmanuel Children's Home. 
love we have for our friends, the love we have for our family. And if you've ever been in love, that is a whole different experience altogether. I, I couldn't agree more with this quote that I came across when we were preparing for this message here. The very word love causes all sorts of problems in the English language. Our vocabulary has become impoverished. Wasn't that well said? The New Testament wasn't written in English. The New Testament was written in Greek. And the Greeks had several different words for different kinds of love. Many of you are familiar with this. For example, you had eros, which was the Greek word for passionate physical desire. You had phylos, which was the Greek word for a more reciprocal brotherly love. But the form of love that takes center stage in the Bible is called agape. Some the, according to the sources I looked at, agape is used, quote, quite sparingly among the other Greek writers of the time, those who are writing things that we don't find in the Bible. However, in the scriptures, agape is by far the most widely referenced form of love. So what is it? What is agape love? Agape, it's the kind of love that God demonstrated when he sent his son into the world. Agape, it's unselfish. Agape reaches out to people who may not deserve it. Agape, it's forgiving. It's gracious. It's redemptive. Agape is the very essence of God's nature. Agape is the active form of love, then, that God's people are to have for their creator, for his son, for one another, even for our enemies. If you're taking notes, I invite you to write this one down too. Does agape love flow out of you like ink from a pen? And if your mind is drifting to a number of different directions right now, I really want to invite you to focus on this for a second. Imagine you've got a pen and you're writing with it. Think about how that ink from that pen, if that pen is working right, that ink traces your every movement. What I'm inviting you to consider is for agape to be in everything you say and do, just like that ink from a functioning pen. Does agape love flow out of you in all the rest? If you want excellence to be your signature, is agape in your excellence? If you are a person that understands great hospitality, is agape in that hospitality? Is agape in your work? Is agape on your team? Is agape in your home? Is agape among us? every time we gather, no matter what it is that we're doing. When it comes to the Christian faith, without love, our songs are just noise. You're going to see the scripture talk about that just in a second, or at least something very close to that. Without love, you can have sound doctrine and completely miss the point. Without love, you can offer sacrifices that aren't pleasing to God. Is agape love in all that you do? If you're still not sure, okay, I want it to be, what does it look like in practical form? I got good news for you. Here it is. 1 Corinthians provides an example of what agape living looks like in a culture that was surprisingly similar to our own. For the last 15 weeks, we've been studying a real letter that was written to real people. We call it 1 Corinthians. It was, it was a real author named Paul who wrote to real people living in a city called Corinth. Before we open our Bibles together to 1 Corinthians one last time, I want to say three things about this letter. First of all, it is what a letter. Wow. I have read this letter or portions of this letter countless times before this series. 
but I've never spent this much time digging this deep and looking at it as a whole. And here's what really struck me as I did. Paul covers a wide range of topics. It's one of the reasons we picked this letter. But this letter is constructed less like there's treasure here and treasure here and treasure here and treasure here and treasure here that you can mine for. It's more like there are these veins, massive veins of gold that are weaving in and out of each other that are all interconnected and all working together to create this amazing, massive treasure. So what a letter. Number two is this. Wow, what an author. What an author. I've always been in awe of Paul the miracle worker. I've been in awe of Paul the mind-blowing theologian. I've been in awe of Paul, the one to whom unfathomable mysteries have been revealed. But over the course of this series, I've also come away with a new appreciation for Paul, the passionate advocate for authentic community. For Paul, the person who is willing to lay down his life and sacrifice on behalf of others. Paul, a really good shepherd who was so slow to give up on people, even when those people lost their way and when those people turned on him. So wow, what an author. All right, the third thing I want to note is this, wow, what a congregation. And that's one of the reasons I wish we were in the same room right now so I could look you right in the eye and say, wow. This, it was a series that was filled with so many hard moments, and it was so many hard moments for so many different reasons. I want to say thank you. You're, you're inspiring to me. The manner in which you approach this text with humility, and, and not only humility, but with courage. Thank you. All right, let's get back to the letter. Paul, he's addressing this letter to, quote, the church of God that is in Corinth. And as he opens up this letter, he, he's, he opens up to these people who had been given a fresh start through faith in Jesus Christ. He gives thanks for them in the letter. He calls them saints in the beginning of the letter. He reminds them, hey, you have been given every spiritual gift that you need. He reminds them God is going to sustain you till the end. And then he's only 10 verses in, and boom, he gets into it. He starts calling them out. He calls them out for divisions. He calls them out for conflict. He calls them out for mistaking the wisdom of this world for the wisdom of God. He calls them out for thinking of themselves as spiritually mature when he says, you are a bunch of spiritual babies. He calls them out for not giving their best to building the kind of church community that Jesus Christ died for. He calls them out for following influencers who aren't following the example of Christ. He calls them out for immorality and greed and reviling and for conforming to the culture. He calls them out for judging outsiders and not looking in the mirror first. He calls them out for bringing matters to the Corinthian courts, which were notorious for being corrupt, where one's wealth rather than the evidence often determined the outcome of a case. In this letter, in fact, in just one chapter, chapter 7, he writes to those who are single, to those who are married, to those who are divorced, to those who are separated, to those whose spouse abandon them, and to those whose spouse sincerely desires to work things out. To all of them, to all of us, regardless of their current status, he reminds them time is short and to go all in on Jesus and to honor God right where you are, whatever state you're in. 
Paul also talks about food that's sacrificed to idols and how this relates to personal rights. He challenges the Corinthians to follow in the footsteps of Jesus who took up the cross for the sake of others. He reminds them, this is the way that Paul, he says, I myself modeled this for you. Paul goes back in history to demonstrate their struggles aren't new, that God's people always seem to lose their way, and there's consequences, significant consequences for those who don't come back home. Paul addresses very practical practices in worship regarding men and women and the Lord's Supper. He provides the most extended teaching on spiritual gifts that you're going to find anywhere in the entire Bible. And then he reminds them of the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ really did rise from the dead, and we will too, with new resurrected bodies Those who are in Christ, we're going to be changed in the moment, he says, in the twinkling of an eye. And death will be swallowed up in victory, thanks be to God. Then, after some parting words, Paul brings this epic letter to a close. And how does he do it? How does Paul sign off of this amazing letter? He signs off with these words. You can look it up for yourself. 1 Corinthians 16, 24 My love be with all of you in Christ Jesus. Amen. As we bring this series to a close, I want to zero in on that word, love. If you have your Bible with you, let's open up. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and we're going to start with verses 1 through 3. I want to say a couple things about this, and one of the, the places um, that I, I want to turn to is, is a commentary um, by Gordon Fee, and he says this about chapter 13, 1 Corinthians. This is one of the greatly loved passages in the New Testament, and for good reason. It is one of Paul's finest moments. Indeed, let the interpreter beware lest too much analysis distract from its sheer beauty and power. Today, what I want to do is to give my best effort here to, to thread the needle, to not give so much analysis that we do what he warned us about, and that is to detract from its beauty and power. But I also want to give enough context so we don't treat 1 Corinthians as it's often treated as a detached poem that you just pluck out of here and and have without context. So here's the immediate context for chapter 13. It's within themes of unity. It's within themes of spiritual maturity. It's within themes of how all of that relates to worship services. In chapter 12, the chapter that comes right before this, Paul teaches about spiritual gifts and how God uses them for the purpose of building up and strengthening our church communities. That's 12. In chapter 14, he picks back up with this whole idea of spiritual gifts, and he calls people out for turning spiritual gifts into something that's having the opposite effect. Instead of bringing people together, it's dividing them. It's making their worship services confusing and chaotic. It's the source of of a way to position yourself up and above others as more spiritually mature. So Paul, right in between, he puts this. And here's how he transitions out of chapter 12 into chapter 13. He does so with these words. He says, earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I'm going to show you a more excellent way. This more excellent way is the authenticating 
signature for mature Christians. Here we go, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Let's start with verses 1 through 3. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but I have not love, I'm a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith as to move mountains, but I have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all that I have and I deliver up my body to be burned and I have not love, I gain nothing. If you're the kind of person who wants to dive deeper into a passage like this, especially the First Corinthians here, deeper than we can go in a 30-minute message, I know this is big and it's very specialized, but if you want to go deeper into First Corinthians, Gordon Fee's treatment of it in the New International Commentary in the New Testament, First Epistle of the the, um, the Corinthians, this is an amazing book. Let me just give you a sampling of how he treats this beautiful passage. He says, and I quote, because of the lyrical nature of this section, it's easy to think of love as an abstract quality. Love is not an idea for Paul or even a, quote, motivating factor for behavior. Love is behavior, To love is to act. Anything short of action is not love at all. Paul wrote this letter. Paul called the Corinthians out precisely because he loved them. And those of you who've been with us from the start, as we continue to read through 1 Corinthians 13, I think you're going to notice this. Paul is very specific. What he says about love is customized for the Corinthians. Everything he says about love, it, it, it affects or is related to something he says elsewhere to them. Now, this is important to note. When it comes to 1 Corinthians, this is not a complete summary of everything that love is. If you go to the rest of the Bible, you're going to find more written about love than you find here. In fact, Jesus himself says, if you love me, he says, you will obey my commandments. Elsewhere, Jesus himself says, greater love has no one than this, than you lay down your life for your friends. 1 John 3, 17, we read, if anyone has material possessions, sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in you? So there's a whole lot more we could say about love than we find here. But one of the reasons I'm not going to weave all of that into this text later on is because This culture in Corinth is so similar to ours that there's so much we can learn just from these words that were written for them. So much of this applies to us. For example, I came across this quote. In that time and in that place, influential groups excelled in smear campaigns designed to dishonor their opponents and bring them misfortune. Does anyone... In this room, have you ever seen any of that anywhere else? 100% of the people in this room and in the adjoining room have seen that happen. These things are going on today. Paul says there is a more excellent way than conforming to culture like that. As this chapter opens, Paul begins by saying, all these gifts, we just read this, all these gifts that we've been given and, and that we're talking about, what good are any of them without love? What good are any of them without love? Here's what one scholar summarizes what we just read and how it relates to the Corinthians, Corinthian Corinthians. Corinthian Christians. Unless Christ's loving character becomes evident in the use and application of any and all of the spiritual gifts, 
Their practice becomes worthless for God's kingdom. And a mere demonstration of, if you're watching at home, read this with me, Christian immaturity. Why am I highlighting that? I'm highlighting that because the Corinthians, many of them, they thought of themselves as spiritually mature. Paul is saying, if you're not authenticating all that you do with love, you are immature, immature. No matter how spiritually mature you look, no matter how sound you think your doctrine is, no matter how you think your self-righteousness and anger is justified, if there's not love, it's not maturity. For example, tongues was apparently one of the most sought-after spiritual gifts in the entire Corinthian church. What did Paul say about tongues? Paul, who spoke in tongues more than any of them, he said, without love, it's just noise. As a side note, just complete side note, one of my sources said that in some Jewish traditions, that they thought that angels preferred Hebrew. Of course they did. We tend to do that. That just cracked me up. But back on point. Paul goes on to say, prophecy, mountain-moving faith. If I got those things, but I have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away everything I've got, if I lay down my very life, and I have not love, I gain nothing. Keeping with this idea that love requires action, Paul packs 15 verbs into the next four verses that we're going to read. He begins with two expressions of what love is, followed by eight verbs expressing what love does not do, and that's followed by what Gordon Fee describes as, quote, a staccato of four more verbs, each of the object, all things. Here are those words with no further interruptions, verses four through six. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It is not, does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. What a beautiful passage, and how meaningful is this? During this series, we embedded a three-week mini-series on the Holy Spirit. Agape love, it is the fruit, it is the fruit of the Spirit. Agape love is patient and kind. Agape love doesn't envy or boast. Agape love isn't puffed up with pride. It's not arrogant, it's not rude, it's not disrespectful. Agape love doesn't insist on its own way. Agape love doesn't foster rivalry or factions. It doesn't harbor bitterness or grudges. It's not easily offended, angered, or irritated. Agape love honors others. It doesn't seek the spotlight or demand its rights. <laughs> Think how many professing Christians in our day, including us, who consider themselves spiritually mature, don't reflect these qualities. Let's go back to our text, verse 7. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This was really interesting. As I was studying this passage, one of the people who was a, a Greek expert, they said one of the words here that's used to, to in, um, translate it here is the verb form of a word that means roof. Consider that imagery. Love is like a roof over us, protecting us, covering us 
from all kinds of harm that we can do to one another, all kinds of things that we could end up projecting outside of this home. What a beautiful image. That's the kind of vision that Paul's casting a vision for, to create a home, a home where love protects us from the division and harm that we experience when we follow a lesser way. Verse eight, love never ends. As for prophecy, they're going to pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. Early in this letter, Paul looked back and he cited an example from their sacred history. Now Paul looks ahead to a time when prophecy is going to cease, when tongues will pass away. But what does Paul say about love? He says love's never going to end. All right, let's keep going. Verses 9 through 10. For now... We know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. All right, when I was reading this, we were just coming back from Juarez. I needed to see that now we know in part, part. Because when we were down there, we stood up on the rubble of what used to be the children's home and the school. Their dorms, where they used to live and play. And we were up there at night and we looked out into the bright lights of El Paso, Texas, that we could see. It was just right, right there. And it didn't make sense. Didn't make sense to, I don't think, any of us up there. Why? Why, of all the places that get reduced to rubble, why this home? There are so many things that I don't understand right now that I only see in part. Those of you who are going through health problems, really scary major health challenges. Those of you who are on the receiving end of things that you should not be on the receiving end of. There are so many things I look out. I needed to read this passage this week. That there are some things that right now we only see in part but someday we're going to understand more. Passage continues. Verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Now, I think there's a couple layers to this verse. It certainly fits what Paul said earlier about, hey, you Corinthians, you're, you're still spiritual infants. You need to grow up. I think that's one layer here. But in this context, I think there's another layer too. I think there's, there's a layer that's talking about there are things that are true in one stage that are not true in another stage. Just as there are things right now we're going to see in part that one day we're going to see in full and understand differently. And I think that really flows well into verse 12, which says, now we see in a mirror dimly but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. This is interesting. Corinth was known for their bronze mirrors. They had some of the finest bronze mirrors in the entire ancient world. But even the finest bronze mirror, that's a pretty dim reflection. In this letter, Paul is saying, in a world where right now, in a time, we can only see dimly, he's inviting us, let's take God at his word. 
that he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. That this narrow road that we're on right now, this is the road that leads to life. This way of love, it may seem like this is the opposite of what we should be doing. This way of love, this is a more excellent way. The chapter closes with this. Let me read it right out of my Bible. Verse 13. So now, faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But the greatest of these is, say it with me, it's love. The greatest of these is love. Love is going to be the way of life in this world that is to come. And we are invited to enter into that kingdom now. That's why Paul is writing this letter. He's writing this letter to say, here's what it looks like. Here's what the way of love looks like for you. Yep, it's going to be the bronze mirror version because of where we're at in our history. But this way of love, agape love, it is far more excellent than any other way. Well, before we seal this series with a song, I want to read a portion of a letter that I received many years ago. It's a letter from my father. He wrote this letter to me in December of 1998. He died May of 1999, 1989, that same May, the coming May. There's content in this letter that I want to circle back to I think it's profound. This fall, we're going to do a series called Generations. It is such an important and timely series. It's going to be our series when we go back inside this fall that we're going to kick off with. And I want to come back to some of his thoughts because they are so important. But right now, I want to touch on a couple things from this letter. This is the only letter. This is the only note that I have from my dad. And like I said earlier, letters have the power to touch us, even years after the fact. You know, they, they do. Uh, it had been such a long time since I've read this letter that I had to go hunting for it. And I went searching through files and searching through boxes of old letters. I finally found this letter. It was up in our garage, in, in the rafters, in a bin. And in that bin, it was a, in a box that was labeled Legacy. In fact, it's funny that, ironic that, Emma's here in the room right now because she, she came with a bunch of her friends while I'm in the garage. I'm pulling down boxes like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Here's what the letter says. I'll read at least part of it. I think it, man, it just ties in so well with what we're talking about today. Starting partway through the letter, he says, I wanted to tell you how happy and proud I am of you as a son. And the reason I'm reading that is, is because that is how this letter opens, isn't it? With Paul personally saying, in the midst of all of the chaos and confusion that I see, I believe in you. I believe in you. The letter goes on to say, I hope we can spend some real time together before you run off and get too busy. I'd like to know you a little better. Perhaps we can schedule some time together when you have a break of some kind, sort of a mini retreat. I'd like that. I never really knew my father. I'd like to get to know my son. My legs are better, and the doctor thinks I will live until spring, at least. I'm planning on plowing and planting again. 
Once a farmer, always a farmer, I guess. I missed a lot of opportunities to spend real time with you, um, with all of you, and I hope I'll have time to do that yet. All is well here. Gretchen is, uh, is on the go all the time and it seems happiest when she is. The rest of the family seems content. We really enjoy our family life. Listen to these words now. We really enjoy our family life. It's difficult to believe that our lifestyle is a minority way of life. I find it so satisfying to share and provide a home that allows for love and freedom to rule. Well, you take care. Love, Dad. Letters. You can pull them out even years later. You can pull them out thousands of years later. And a well-written letter can still touch you today. When I pulled this out, I had to go upstairs and sit on the couch with Laura, and I was just crying. Letters can touch you. Like my dad, you may not have seen a father's love model for you. Many of you grew up in situations where when it comes to faith in the God that the Bible testifies to, he was so misrepresented to who you are and who we're called to be was so misrepresented. So you may not have seen it, but my hope is that right now the Holy Spirit is at work in your heart, confirming and authenticating that this is a better way. And may we rise to the challenge that my dad lived by, and that was to build a home where love was ruling in it. Here's our last invitation to you as we bring this series to a close. Will you help us as a church family? Will you help us build a home where agape love is in every signature, where every one of us, as God's sons, as God's daughters, Every one of us, love is in what we do. That others may come to know what a minority of us are experiencing. This love of God manifest among us. Letters have the potential to touch us deeply, even years after they're written. And 1 Corinthians has so much that applies to us today as it did to them then. May the word of God dwell in us richly, teaching and admonishing us in all wisdom. And as we seal this series with a song, may we commit all of us to signing everything that we say and do with love. And all God's people said, amen.